Hey, hey, I'm Collier. And I'm Elijah, and welcome back to the Hopefully Wandering Podcast. How have you been, Elijah? How have you been since uh, we saw each other last? I think Collier and I are going on a week straight of seeing each other. Maybe, and we're going to see each other tomorrow, too, and Thursday. Wait, what's tomorrow? Uh, we're doing an open mic night. Oh, going shit, I forgot about night. that. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like the fair before... And then we have Dungeons and Dragons Thursday. Like I know, too much, man. I think I see you almost as much as I do Taylor. We gotta separate. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we need some healthy alone time. Some boundaries. Yeah, we need some boundaries. Do you think we need to talk about that with our small group leader? We could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, (laughs) we're a podcast about two guys who in the church for a little while, and uh, we recently have come out of evangelicalism. And what do we do now, Collier? Uh, now we wander through the vast openness that is life. We talk about spirituality. We talk about just living life, fun things to do. Um, and we have a small perf- perspective and we enjoy listening to other people's perspectives. Absolutely. Uh, can you give me three examples of your favorite fun things to do? Uh, I like, I love karaoke nights. Um, we did Bro, that this weekend. So fun. that is my new church. What was your favorite karaoke. song? What was your favorite song from the weekend? I mean, we moshed to Mr. Brightside. So if that's not the whitest millennial thing you've <laughs> ever done. Like, <laughs> it was, it was that. really fun. It was really fun. Yes. At a karaoke night. It was yeah. incredible. Um, I missed, uh, yeah. Last time we went to that bar, there was a, a very old man named Joe W and we cheered for him and that was incredible. Joe W. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> he, he had to miss the indie folk uh, concert mm, beforehand. Yeah, he didn't or I like think the... he would have been there. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, uh, what are we doing today? Uh, today, we are hearing a new perspective that's not us. So, round of applause, listeners. You don't have to listen to us as much. You get a Woo! new voice. Woohoo. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, who are you? What do you do? What's like the... So like if you were in like a speed dating, like 60 seconds, <laughs> and you had to tell someone who you were, what would you say? Uh, my name is Zach Miners, uh, and I'm a local filmmaker uh, who is originally from Louisville. I uh, run a production company called Chronicle Cinema. We do everything from commercials and virtual event production to documentary and other film stuff so uh yeah a a lot of different things i also uh, have i guess been referred to in more recent years as an lgbtq (laughs) activist but that's kind of a new phrase that i'm like oh yeah i guess i do do that uh but uh yeah so well i i want to go out of the way and first of all thank you for being our first professional guest (laughs) <laughs> hopefully wandering podcast who we have that. no prior connection to kind of sorta well happy to be here <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we are very 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 glad you're here so zach you you grew up uh in church correct yes okay did possibly you, yeah did you ever uh hear the hot seat or play the hot seat i know of it yeah yes yeah, yeah. were you ever in it in church or anything I I tended to work in the tech booth oh. to avoid being in the hot seat. Yes, background. Okay. Wait, now, did, were you there in the tech booth when they had someone specifically 
to run the timer on planning center? Uh, yes, but I would not do that position. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the kid, it, it's always the kid who knocks on and he's like, wow, it looks like mission control back here. Can I help? Oh, oh. they would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they stick them on the... <laughs> you get to run the timer. <laughs> Very important job, which, you know, that's, I never connected that. That's why the timer was always off. That's why, Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. And they never followed it anyway. So like, why were they down there? Just to let you know how over you were. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so now we're bringing the backstage tech guy into the forefront, putting him on the hot seat. Uh, Elijah, first question, go. Um, oh, I wasn't prepared, but that's okay. Uh, let's just start off with some low balls, and then we'll work up to it. So, uh, what's your what's your favorite hangout spot in the Ville? Hangout spot or like bar, fun place to eat. Where would you like if you wanted to hang out with a friend? Where'd you take them? Um, I tend to go if it's like during the day, a lot of times I'll go to like Logan street market or somewhere. Oh, yeah. if, um, I haven't been to bars as much since the pandemic, but, I understand. Uh, there's, you know, I, I'm a, a gay man in Louisville. So, you know, big bar, some of the other more typical mm. spots, but, um, yeah, I also, it's kind of been a pandemic project, but I've, my backyard has kind of turned into a some semi oasis garden that I hang out with my with my friends, and uh, it, it has now been named Serenity Cove. So that's kind of my nice. uh, my go to um, hangout spot. Though. Do you like rent parties? Like, could we pay to have the hopefully wandering <laughs> Christmas staff party there? I mean, if you bring some bourbon, you're, you're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll crack open the we'll eighteen year old Elijah Craig sometime. Uh, Zach, if you could, if you could be any animal, what would you be? I don't know. That's a that's a <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a stereotypical answer, but I, uh, I think a bird would be pretty cool. You know, we cool. see things from different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That fits in with the theme of our podcast too. <laughs> Oh, well, with the wandering, seeing seeing new perspectives. Yeah. What a wanderer we have over here. (laughs) We should make Uh, a bird our mascot. That's a good idea. (laughs) Someone on Instagram, well, we always like Instagram's going to call us out and they never do. No one ever interacts. (laughs) No, because they don't listen, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was your dream profession when you were a child? (laughs) This wasn't supposed to go together. These questions weren't supposed to go But actually, when I was a kid, my profession dream profession was I wanted to be a pilot um, huh. because I didn't see filmmaking as a viable career. So mm. is it a viable career? Well, I don't know. I've been doing it. It depends, <laughs> on, it depends on the year you ask me uh, <laughs> this year. We're doing all right. Uh, good, good. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought, you know, pilots work for a few weeks and they're home for a few weeks. So I could, you know, do the, do my hobby of filmmaking, but you know, obviously it turned into what I do full time. So, mm. uh, Zach, what is your favorite flavor? Um, I'm like, if it's, well, obviously it can be a lot of different things, <laughs> but I would say that's how you're supposed to take it. I, the first thing that popped into my head was like salted caramel. Oh, Ooh. okay. Okay. I get it. Yeah. I think that's a good one. 
Um, are you more of a fan of sloppy wet or unforeseen kiss? <laughs> uh, I, I guess it depends <laughs> on my mood, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm talking? You know what I'm talking yeah, about? This, okay, okay, okay. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Some people have it, and they're like, "It's like what the fuck." <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's that was, that was a callback. It took me a second. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess sloppy wet kiss. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> An argument can be made for either. Yeah, but sloppy wet's the better. I option. get more of those mm-hmm. only because I have a golden doodle. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> um, Zach, who was who was your first celebrity crush? Oof. Um, I, I don't know. It was the first person that came to m- probably like Chris Evans or someone like that. I mean, just kind of your classic. <laughs> That's been most of the guests' answers. Yeah, literally. The men and the, like everyone, the men and the women. I probably said Chris Evans. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's a popular one. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there That's probably good. were some others. Maybe, maybe like Orlando Bloom and like pirates oh and pirates yeah that's a good one dude me too yeah he (laughs) and he looked much better in pirates than like than in lord of the rings too like yeah i would agree he looks kind of weird in lord of the rings just too too sleek elven too fake yeah the the wig wasn't great the wig was not great no (laughs) so i had a really good question and then i you started talking about chris evans and it's um what is your favorite curse word Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess also depends on my mood, but I, I I say them all pretty regularly. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> You're on the right podcast, buddy. <laughs> An equal opportunity. My mother, um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, mom. If you still listen at this point, first of all, I'm very surprised you're still listening. But she was more upset that I curse on this than like denounce my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. Yeah. Um, pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? I'm actually I'm I'm okay with it. I'm good, but I, yeah. it's not something I want every time. But there are times where. I no, I am too. I am too. If they do it right, and if I'm in the mood, it can be very good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Definitely depends. Like if it's like more of like a, like maybe on like Domino's, maybe not so much. But you know, if yeah. it's like a, uh, more of a hometown type place. Artsy mm-hmm. craft. Yeah. Um. What's something? And we'll 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 we won't throw too many more. At you. Uh, what is like something really nerdy about you that a lot of people don't expect? Like, is there something like you're really like, I get hyper fixated on stuff. Like right now I'm on D and D I've said that for the last 10 episodes for some reason, <laughs> still stuck around, but like, do you have something random you're really nerdy and knowledgeable about? I don't know. I feel like it's really weird because growing up filmmaking was always like my yeah. nerd hobby. And then now it's like what people know me as, so it's kind of boring. Uh, but also, it's really weird when like your hobby becomes your work. Then it's like, what is your hobby? Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I 
have definitely, I kind of alluded to earlier, but I've kind of recently been enjoying like plants and planting things. And like, I'm still not the best at it, but I do enjoy, enjoy. And um, I think a lot of times people are also uh, surprised to know that I was an Eagle Scout too. So this is one of the ways that we're going to (laughs) bond. Do you carry the card? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me neither. <laughs> I don't even know. I I forgot there was a card. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. how much I put that on my head. My dad was like, you can't date or drive till you become an Eagle Scout. And buddy, let me tell you, I got that shit quick. And no ceremony. I was, that shit to me. We're going. <laughs> I think I was the youngest because I think we were actually, we discovered earlier we were in the same troop. But yeah, yeah. Slightly different. But it was a big, big group. But yeah. I think I was like the second youngest person to get it in our Really? Trip. How old were you? Nice. I'm ish. <laughs> I don't know. I remember who was it I was listening to the other day where they were like, this fact predates predates the internet. Uh, <laughs> but I, it was right around when I was I was either I was either very into 14 or very beginning of 15. Okay, that, that checks out. That checks out. Because most people are like 17 getting it after they turned 18. Yeah. No, I was, I was like, I think it was right before I turned 15. Okay. That checks out. That checks mm, out. Okay. It may not still hold true, you know, later years when we had 120 members. Yeah. No, for sure. At the time. Um, let's see. When, okay. This will be a, a little bit complicated of a question. Um, I'm ready. No, maybe not. Okay. So, Situation: There is an apocalypse. Um, so present death. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you are the last man left alive, and the apocalypse isn't regular zombies, though. It is. It is all. It is all like miniature um, hippopotamuses. What is your weapon of choice? Miniature hippopotamuses. Yeah. Huh. Hippopotamus. A youth group question. <laughs> Hippos are really scary, but now that I'm they picturing, are. I don't know like how small we're talking. Like, uh, are like, like you know, uh, about like shin height, like a okay. kind of like cat size. Yeah, yeah, about cat size. Okay. Yeah, cat size That's, hippos. Where did you get this? I don't know. I just say it because I think it would be. <laughs> I think it would be fun, but if we're just talking, you know, fantastic. I'm like very. Um, I would say pretty pretty pacifistic in my ways, but I this is very much going against that. But I would just say probably like a grenade launcher or something. <laughs> that would take care of them. You're right. So a ton of mini ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just just knock them all out at once. Okay, that's a good idea. I was thinking moon shoes, like. Boing, boing, like stop. <laughs> um, I think I think I'm out of questions. I think, I think I think I'm out. Okay. You want to ask like you know, one, one? I've been I've been liking this question that I've been asking my guests recently. Okay. Um, this is what, the last one. Yeah. How would how would other people describe Zach Miners in three words? Oh Lord. Uh, I know it's good because it makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't. Um, I have a hard time. This is one thing that I'm working on in therapy, saying nice things about yourself. Mm. Uh, but Did you know out, turns, this was, this was a out, therapy session? Turns out, uh, yeah. Surprise um, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like 
I'm a pretty loyal person. Um, and especially like to people that once like you're in the inner circle or whatever, it's, it's pretty hard to, uh, shake at that point. But (laughs) then I would say also, um, I'm pretty like persistent. Like if we have, I'm the type of person where if we like set a goal and we're saying we're going to do this, I'm like very much, okay, let's start. How do we do it? You know, let's go, let's do this. So, and I think I'm pretty good at like bringing people together. So, yeah. So awesome. Loyal, determinate. Yeah. Perfect. Persistent and persistent. Yeah. Bringing people together. That's good. Community. Community. I don't know how to say that. In a yeah, word, I, don't know one, I don't know what one word would be. Yeah, like a inclusive. Inclusive. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's good. That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, surprise, dude. Give me a five-minute devo on inclusivity. <laughs> go. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're like. That's that's how you know. Like we actually worked in the churches because like I think I could BS a topic five minutes on anything at any point. <laughs> Yeah, I could, but I would probably have to have some sort of substance before either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, call yes. call back to the Uber drive. <laughs> um, yeah, so Zach, um, I don't know. You gave us a small introduction, but yeah, we just want to hear more about you know your story, your perspective, and kind of uh, who you are. So um, yeah, like tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey up to this point so far. Well, I can go a lot of different directions, but yeah. I would say, um, I mean, so I grew up, um, well, my family actually became Christians when I, they were Catholic before, and then they became evangelical Christians around the time my brother was born uh, and started going to um, a mega church um, here in town. Uh, and it was something that was kind of like a complete 180 because my parents were, you know, uh, a lot changed in their lives when they did that and went from being like fairly like I would I would say more liberal and like more um my my mom was was I would I don't know if she would identify with this but I would classify her at the time of being more of like a hippie type uh person and then became like very evangelical Christian homeschool mom like pretty much over like a six month period. Oh wow! It, it's so, a pipeline. It's real. It can happen. Yeah, fast. It, it it was like a real quick like oh you know you all have changed, um and so then very much from that point on grew up in the church, you know my dad was a deacon. We were there a lot. Um, I volunteered a lot, and you know in a lot of ways that uh, you know being in a part of a church like that also gives you a lot of resources, you know, to be able to have like equipment and, you know, learn things and learn technical skills and things that you would maybe not have access to if you weren't a part of that. So, um, you know, it definitely wasn't all bad. Like there were a lot of good things I took out of that. Um, and, but I think deep down, I always knew I was a secret. I always had a secret and knew that, um, especially hearing how the church, talked about homosexuality and like kind of knowing in the back of your mind that this is something that you are or struggle with or whatever, you know, however, um, you know, I've processed that at different, as different ways throughout my life. But, uh, at 14 through kind of a series of dramatic events, 
I was outed. Um, and, uh, it went over the course of like a week. It went from no one knowing to like hundreds of people knowing. Um, Ouch. and so it was a pretty big shock and I was, uh, brought in to go see a therapist. Um, well, see like a counselor and then they recommended that I go, um, see this therapist who specialized in like cases like mine. And I didn't know what the term like conversion therapy was at the time, but, um, you know, that's what, that's what it was. So Mm. now I think most people listening to this, like would probably think of like Mike Pence memes when we talk about conversion therapy and lightning flying, like Emperor Palpatine style, but I don't think for like from the conversations that we talked about, it always looks like like something that got outlawed in the sixties. Like it it can have a lot of different forms it takes place in, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think it also has become in a lot of ways even like a trope. I mean, you see there have been SNL sketches sketches, there was like a Will and Grace episode. I mean, even just mm. like um a week or two ago, there was a film released on Peacock, you know, about a horror movie about a gay conversion camp. But so, you know, it's like that is very, um, a lot of different people have taken, you know, more fantastical approaches to representation or even comedic approaches to its representation. Um, and it really took me being out of it to really be able to even fully process or understand what I went through. But, you know, conversion therapy is really any type of practice of trying to change someone's sexual or gender identity through spiritual or psychological intervention. So, um, it can take a ton of different forms. It can look a lot of different ways to different people ranging from, you know, kind of the, I don't want to call classic, um, model that a lot of people think of as like the electroshock therapy and people are like, Oh, I don't, we don't practice that or we don't do that. And there's a lot of people who have a very narrow definition of uh, conversion therapy, which just encompasses that. And so they'll say like, Oh, well we don't, we don't do that. We don't shock, you know? And Mm -hmm. even though there are still groups that do do that and they electroshock therapy isn't quite, (laughs) isn't quite as common, but like it does still happen, but they'll do other things like using heat or ice or smells or things that otherwise, um, cause you to have a negative pain or some sort of a negative response, physical response to, um, sexual stimuli. Uh, but so it can start from that. It can range anything from like exorcisms to having, uh, you know, things with, uh, you know, it can be happen through one-on-one kind of lay counseling, which was more of what my situation was where I was going and seeing someone twice a week for basically four years, two times in one week. Wow. Yeah. I was a, I had a real serious case uh. of the gay. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you did it. <laughs> yeah. Real, real gay one here. Um, and you know, or, you know, there's a lot of like camps and things like that, that people are, are sent to. I managed to stay away from most of those other than a few, a few, uh, semi, some good, some bad traumatizing weekends at uh, the church camp. But, mm. um, uh, but yeah, so it can look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. For me, you know, I can talk more about that, but you know, 
I was years later, you know, eight or nine years after coming out of that was still for a long time stayed within that same mindset and, um, was very much hiding my sexual identity. And it really in like 2016 was when I kind of had a situation happen with the church where, um, I really needed help and a very, I had, a um, someone that was close to me, uh, uh, attempted to kill themselves and it was like very traumatic at like 10 o'clock at night and I needed help you know like the ambulance yeah. came and took them away and I'm like sitting in my front yard and I was a part of a community group and um, I was calling the people in my community group and it was very much we're praying for you brother you know like rather sure. than like yeah I don't I don't need your prayers right now I need you to come here <laughs> like yeah um, and you know i called another friend of mine who was buddhist and i called another friend of mine that i'd never even met he was someone who i is one of my really close friends now um but he lived in seattle and i just was like i i need help i don't know what's going on like i and i wasn't even like and literally the next morning he was like hey i'm in atlanta i need you to pick me up from the airport and you know a few minutes like and, you know, it was like my gay friend in Seattle who I'd never met in person before and just mm -hmm. had, you know, we talked on the phone once or twice a week and, wow. you know, they were the people who really showed up and, um, yeah, so it was, it was, I, I don't think I went back to church again after that. Like it was, it was mm -hmm. pretty, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And there were a lot of other yeah. traumatizing things that led up to that point, but it was just like. The things that you're saying you're doing and the things you're actually doing are um, different. And I was I was a part of a different church at that point, and um, there was another gay guy that was at the church, and they were not handling that situation very well. And um, and so it, it was just kind of the culmination of all those things. And so shortly thereafter, I started uh, dating a guy. Uh, I know scandalous, uh, and <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. Um, and we were going to, he took me to big bar for the first time and started introducing me to a show called RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, nice. wow. And, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so one of the first seasons I watched live was season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race where there was a drag queen, um, Dustin Rayburn or Dusty Ray Bottoms and Dusty was talking on the show about their experience with conversion therapy. And that was really kind of a pivotal point for me because I'd never heard someone t like talk about conversion therapy in like a public space hmm. other than like it being like mocked. Yeah. And having someone else like talk about their experience. It sounds like you almost hadn't processed that that like occurred to you up until like you heard someone else talk. About right. It. Yeah. I mean, it was like, Oh yeah, I went through that. But and, and I knew like people would say, like, did you go? I'll be like, oh yeah, I went through conversion therapy. But for so long, that was seen as a positive thing. Oh, yeah. Because of the circles I was in. Well, because you were saying like, you worked at the church. I worked at a church while and then you were going through it, right? I went to a Christian university even after I stopped working for the mm. church. And then, you know, I worked I'm for so sorry. <laughs> and then I worked for a Christian nonprofit. So okay. it was like literally, you know, up until 2014 that I um, and the Christian nonprofit I worked with was uh, known for being homophobic. Oh, really? Um, and 
Um, that was a whole other can of worms, but, um, you know, I was, I was very deeply in the closet for a long time and I was even opened about the fact that I had been through conversion therapy. And I think that nonprofit in hindsight hired me to try to be like, Oh, we're not homophobic because we have this person on our team, yeah. who, you know, mm. and I didn't quite put it all together until, you know, later, but you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> I survived it uh, and, and I'm in a better place now. But yeah, it was for so long, it was seen as a positive thing. And then I think after I came out, I felt like I didn't want to talk about it because I felt the shame from Christians in my circles that felt like, oh, this didn't work for you. Because it was never, I knew that conversion therapy didn't fix me, but I always thought I did something wrong to make it not work right it was never that the therapy itself was bad. Mm. And um, so it was always put back on me and never anything. And then I think I was afraid to talk to like the LGBT community about it because I thought like they would, you know, be like, well, why did you stay in for four years? Or why did you keep working for these organizations mm. and things? You know, like, why didn't you come out sooner? Yeah. And, you know, it was because of the trauma and the uh, mind fuckery. Right, uh, yeah, that's the uh, only brain, thing you can Brainwashing, say. yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was a lot. So then I think when people did, I did start telling people went through conversion therapy, I was like shocked at how shocked other people were. Hmm. You know, like it was like, wait, what? You're, and... Well, because in your circles, it was kind of the regular thing, wasn't it? Like if you were gay and... In that church, right. in that nonprofit, the the only option this was, what you was did. to go to therapy. Yeah, right. you try to fix it, you try to reconcile somehow. And what's really interesting is so many of my friends, a lot of whom I'm still friends with today, not all, but a lot of the people I grew up with actually were also gay. And it was interesting how we kind of huh. found each other, but even though we weren't out to each other at the time, you know, it was like we kind of all found each other <laughs> you had like trauma yeah. sharing i mean really you know yeah for sure and um bring it back full circle like that's the funny thing is life has a way of connecting people and um i was filming like an unrelated project and actually met dustin or dusty and um filmed them and then they ended up being a part of a uh project i was i've been working on and now they're like one of my close friends. And it's just funny that like this person that you like saw on like a reality TV show, um, yeah. you know, and um, th their husband, you know, works with me full time. So it's crazy how really? full I didn't know that. Come. Yeah. So. Are they, are they in Louisville? At the, yes. At oh, the, wow. Well, they're actually in New York right this second, but they, oh, well, Dusty, you know, like <laughs> Dusty um, travels a lot for, um, as a, drag queen personality so they're they're all over the place yes. but they currently reside in the louisville area so i can see um some I, i'm you know i'll never be able to fully relate to your experience from like what i've gone through but like i can at least see some parallels from like having to have a pers perspective shift with like, you know, who we were. So like the big thing when you're in high school and you go to Christian summer camp or Bible on the beach is you have to confess at the end of the week to your parents that you've been looking at porn. That's what you have to do, right? And it's like, 
I really wanted to change. Like, I really did not want to because I thought that was a terrible thing and I never could kick it. And I was like, if I could, you know, there's something wrong with me that's not allowing me to kick it. This methods and the things that they're teaching me, you know, bump the eyes, you know, blah, 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 mm. blah, blah. It works, but I'm doing it wrong. We're doing something wrong, the reason why it works. And they never just was like, hey, maybe the whole way that we've been teaching you to look at this from a perspective is the flawed part, not you. Right. It takes a long time. And it took me like a solid 10 years to be able to like make that transition. So, I mean, I think just even what little bit we've talked, even the change in perspective you all have had just over the past couple of years is pretty insane. So, um, you know, kudos to you all as well. But I think the journey is, um, you know, the theme of the podcast that you all do. And, you know, it's definitely a journey. And I think, you know, being patient with yourself, learning how to like read, love yourself and how to give yourself grace is really important because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's one of the things that's so the dichotomy in Christianity of like on one side, you're saying, you know, God shows you you're this, amazing to also but you're nothing without god you are sure you know which which is it and yeah well um, you're taught to love yourself only because of what christ has done for you exactly so then yeah like if if yeah and the perspective shifts that i think we've all had of like when christ is gone then how do you love yourself (laughs) then then what happens yeah and it's something i'm still figuring out yeah it's not it's not not a one and done type thing Mm -hmm. and um someone else doesn't stay with that, but I lost my train Well, can I ask too, I mean, in a similar way, you mentioned um, being really scared of telling people in the LGBTQ community about like conversion therapy. What, I, I guess, what, what were your uh, experiences when you did open up to them about what you'd been through? Uh, way more compassion. I mean, listen, I'm the first to admit the LGBT community has its... A lot of its own issues. Listen, all so, of and, the communities, <laughs> any community does, and, yeah, and its own forms of toxicity, and mm-hmm. you know what. But you know, I will say, learning to develop. You know, I today have a chosen family that are I love very dearly, and you know, people who um, I know I can call at any point, and I know that they'll be there. You know. Um, Maybe not tonight because most of them are in Pennsylvania. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's great having that support system. But, uh, you know, as you're, uh, as you're grow- as I've grown, you know, having that support system and, and having those people who can really see through that. And, I mean, the response has been pretty incredible. I... In 2018, yeah, in 2018, I found out that my old conversion therapist was still practicing, and mm. it was mind blowing to me because of some of the things. Not only that, I can really only speak to my experiences, but I know of other people that had been to him that had even worse experiences than I did. And I was like, "This person should be in jail. How are they still practicing?" And yeah. I just always assumed someone else would come forward and tell their story. I like we talked about at the beginning, I was very much a behind the camera type person and I hate being in front of the camera and I hate being (laughs) in front of the microphone and all those things. But 
since then I've really was like, okay, I guess I need to come out and tell my story. And so, you know, I came out in 2016, but then it was like almost like a new coming out again in 2018. And I think like a lot of parents and people, it's like, okay, they're not happy as an adult that you're out, but it's like, they don't want their friends to know, or they don't want Mm. like it's it's all it's like what will the other people at church think perception's more important than reality kind of yeah because it's like it's like they don't want to be like humiliated with their own circles and um because they don't have the same support system that i feel like i have but anyways (laughs) uh and or at least more real of a support system but one of the things that was really funny to me was I started, I was like, okay, I'm going to make a five minute PSA about this and use, cause I, you know, own a production company that, you know, we have cameras and lights and microphones. I was like, we're, let's use the resources we have to make mm-hmm. like this five minute PSA. And I was doing a commercial for, um, a large company here in town and briefly had like a 10 minute conversation with one of the heads of the company. And they were like, don't make it about just your experience in Kentucky because everyone will believe like, Oh, of course that happens in Kentucky. (laughs) True. Yeah. But (laughs) like it's also happening in New York and California Mm -hmm. and in Canada and you know, all over the world. And so it kind of kept like dream bigger, you know? And so it kind of kept expanding. And what was really funny is growing up, I'm sure you all probably heard, you know, like, Oh, like the liberal media or the, (laughs) <laughs> and uh, one of my clients, unfortunately, the show just got canceled. But one of my clients, uh, uh, a few years around the same time, was uh, the show Full Frontal with Samantha B. And oh, we they were, got canceled. Yeah, just like a few weeks ago. Oh, I didn't know um, that. But I, Samantha, Sam, first of all, is like one of the most lovely people and one of the best wow, people I've ever a, worked for. That's a really for. big but, show too. Wow. Yeah. So we nice. were doing, we were producing a lot of the, or some of the on the road segments that the yeah. show does. And it was just really funny. One day it hit me. I was like, oh shit, I've become the liberal media that I was warned of. <laughs> like, um, and, you know, it was interesting too because, like I said earlier, I was never really thought of myself as an LGBTQ activist. Mm-hmm. I just was someone that was coming out about my story. And then it was like, oh, we need to pass legislation and we need to, like, stop some of these things. And I think, um, so I, I started going and talking to lawmakers and, you know, just doing things that, you know, but again, never really thinking of myself in that position. And I was asked to give a speech in, you know, Frankfort, Kentucky. You don't think of that being like you show up and there's like a few cameras and, you know, a yeah. small group of people and you're giving the speech and, you know, it's like how far can this, the echoes of this yeah. really go? And you're there talking and gave my little speech and whatever. And then. Uh, the next morning I wake up and I have an email from like actually one of the full frontal producers, like executive producers. And they were like, we just want to let you know, we're so proud of you and the work you're doing. And like really, really enjoyed the article this morning. And I was like, Mm. what article are they talking about? Cause they live in New York, (laughs) New York times there. And like, I was just like, Oh shit. Like, and (laughs) Like next thing you know, there's this article going around and then my mom's calling me like, why didn't you tell us you were to be in the New York times? I was like, I didn't know. (laughs) I I was like, I did an interview with some reporters, but I didn't ask them like where they were from, you know, like, 
Um, and so it was really crazy because it's not something I ever really like sought out to try to do or, you know, Mm -hmm. planned it. Not at all. Um, which probably isn't like, but you know, sometimes it works out that way, but yeah, I don't know. It's been a really bizarre journey, but one that, well, I mean, I feel like in this, uh, in this society, you know, being existing as a person that isn't, I guess, accepted by a large portion of society. Like you kind of have to, in order to exist proudly, you have to be an activist in a way, right? Like you can't, it's either like you kind of exist quietly or you're an activist. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I existed quietly for so long, Yeah, you know, and I was behind people in some cases and in some cases, you know, controlling the lights or the soundboard for mm-hmm. people that were saying things that I would did not agree with. Mm. And so I feel like in the same way that I used, you know, I wasn't the one actively doing that thing, but I was certainly helping. And I think one of the things that I never realized that I realized later was that I was seen as a conversion therapy success story. Oh. And so many of my, it was not something I really shared a ton. Um, I definitely shared it with some people and I definitely held the belief that like people shouldn't be gay for a long time. But my story was weaponized somewhat without my consent or control where people were saying, you know, Oh, like it worked for Zach so it can work for you. And that was something I was never really aware of. And so I think a big part of this journey for me has been reclaiming my story and like saying, no, this is, what actually happened and this is how it affected me and um hopefully writing some of those wrongs so oh that's awesome yeah that's so great i know yeah like i well i was talking to elijah how about like i you know used to hold a lot of those beliefs as well you know growing up in the church and stuff and that was that was a kind of one of the main points of my deconversion and my deconstruction story i wrestled with the you know, issue, the sin issue of like homosexuality just from a theological standpoint for so long. And I still remember the day I was actually like processing my large theological and philosophical thoughts in the shower as I always do. And I was like, you know what? I've always equated homosexuality to lust and how that's a similar sin maybe and like process it through a sin issue that way. But then I was like, you know what? Like I struggle with lust and that's a sin, but yet I could be married to the person of the gender and sex that I prefer um, just because I happen to be what the church accepts. So like, how can I sit here and say that like for someone well, like you, Zach, that you would have to, um, in order for you to remain pure or remain like godly, you would have to then, I guess, be celibate your whole life. And I was like, how much am I sacrificing for my sin? Nothing. I'm sacrificing absolutely nothing. Just get married young. Yeah, exactly. Get married young, like I did. And then like... <laughs> I tried it. It didn't work out so well. <laughs> but yeah, I get married and then I can do whatever I want, you know? And like, but for for the other, for people on the other side of the spectrum that I was with, with that other sin, you know, which for some reason the church just prizes in a different way. Um, yeah, their their options are so different. They can't get married. You know, because getting married is a sin. They can't like act on their feelings at all. Like they have to resort resort to 
Delighting in the Lord. Delighting in the Lord. Lord. Completely erasing their identity. I I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before. Oh, I'm here for this. (laughs) um, I had, uh, I'm trying to think of how to word this. I had a roommate at one point um, who was very Christian um, and would, very much a ladies man. Uh, And would have women over semi-regularly. Oh. Um, And I had a guy over one time because he was out on a date with a girl and wasn't home. So I had the place (laughs) to myself. Mm -hmm. And he came home early with this girl because they were, I think, skipping dinner to go straight to the bedroom part. (laughs) And um, I literally like freaked out on this very lovely gentleman that was in my, my my house and literally like carried him out so that there wouldn't be footsteps uh <laughs> and it was yeah very insane mm-hmm. and my roommate found out later and was super pissed and was i was just like it's literally the same thing you're doing and he was like but i could marry you know wow. and, oh okay <laughs> yeah so i'm just i'm just out looking for a wife so yeah, and then I came out shortly thereafter, and I mean, some of the things that people would say, like I mean, legitimately, a thing person one person said to me was, "If you haven't had like full on gay sex yet, I hope you get hit by a bus or something happens to you before you go there, so that way you can still go to heaven." Because what like, the fuck? Yeah. Wow. What so. The- I mean, some of the things that people would say, you're just like, okay, so you would rather me die than like be in a relationship with a man. Like, and you know, there are so many, I'm very single at the moment, but, um, you know, hey, I've listen had some, up. Who knew? You know, who knew you came out? Hopefully, wandering. <laughs> we're gonna find you. <laughs> um, but you know, some of the like most healthy relationships I know are LGBT relationships. Mm-hmm. And some of the, you know, most unhealthy relationships I know are, are some straight couples. <laughs> I, you know, so like, I'm not saying there's a correlation there. Obviously there are a lot of very healthy straight relationships as well, but one does not equal, you know, better or worse just because of the, the genders of the people in that relationship. So, hmm. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, you know, a lot of our experience has been influenced through evangelicalism, the church, you know, theology, having gone to Bible college, did the ministry thing, excuse me, become disillusioned by that. And we end up, you know, I, I feel like I end up describing myself more by like what I believe than like who I am actually like. I want to know, like, am I a nihilist or an absurdist? Am I agnostic or am I atheist? Am I blah, blah, blah? But uh, I guess what I want to ask you is, like, you know, there's two separate things here. Like, obviously, you've been pretty disillusioned with, like, evangelical church. That's a given. It's pretty obviously obvious why. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, like, in a public platform, but, like, where have you ended up with like your thoughts and opinion with like an omnipotent creator, the one of scripture? I mean, I it very much am hopefully wandering. No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like, I understand. I, I don't 
and, and this is honestly one of the things that really bothered me about the church before because I've, I'm very comfortable with the idea that I don't know everything and I'm not going to know everything. Right. right. Sure. And I feel like I've kind of always been that way because I remember one time I was in a small group meeting with this guy who was, uh, going to Southern Baptist seminary and, uh, he was, uh, and I remember him asking me if I was like pre-trib or post-trib and I was like, (laughs) I don't know. And I don't really care. Like, and he was like, brother, we got to like stay up tonight and talk about it. You've got to figure this out, you know, like, cause you've got to know what you say. And so I think I even pre me leaving the church was kind of disillusioned with some of the labels. Sure. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I still, there are a lot of things about Christianity that, are still very attractive to me. Like the idea of like, even the ideas of like community and like love. I think the thing that really led me away from the church, honestly, was the rise of like conservatism and Trump and some of the things where I was like, wait, so all the things that you said you believe growing up, clearly you don't really care about because we're talking about you know, someone who, if you look at his life, has very terrible person. Right. Yeah. But all the Christians are like, well, you know, but abortion. And so (laughs) it's like, but all these other things, you know, and and so it, it, that for me was kind of what led me fully away from the church and why I haven't been back in a long time. Do you associate, uh, this may be too deep. So like, please feel free to tell, to tell me about it because like when, when I became like disillusioned with the church, um, I didn't know whether I should or should not put that blame on like a creator. And then that sent me down the spiral, baby, the pipeline. <laughs> but like, um, did your personal relationship, if you still have one, like be affected through all of this? Um, what's interesting. I remember, so I lived in another state and I was actually excommunicated from a church um, while I was still a part of the church. Bro, you had oh, it rough. And I, they excommunicated me because I actively was not pursuing a woman in their congregation. Really? Hold <laughs> Wait, so would, would they have not even been okay if you were like celibate or were they just... Do they need you to pursue a woman? I was, I was celibate. They yeah. also weren't comfortable with the fact that I had gay Facebook friends. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, anyways, the, I could go a lot more into that, but we won't. <laughs> uh, but I remember I was trying to join a new church, and I was sitting across from this pastor and telling him everything, and he was like, honestly, it's a miracle you're still here. I was like, I'm still trying this Jesus thing. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think if Christians actually believed or practiced the principles that they say they believe, it would be a lot more. And I, I don't I don't fully, you know, know where I am with some of that stuff. But I'm also sure. comfortable in that, you know. Yes. Hmm. I feel like, yeah, the, the comfort in the unknowing is so, it, it's really so peaceful once you can actually find peace in it. Like, I know that terrified me for a long time, too, 
And I was in a, I was in a therapy session one time. Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, and good. um, he, I remember this therapist asking me, "What do you want?" And I legit had a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> and like I couldn't yeah. answer that question mm. because they were like, "What do you want?" And it can't be like what you think other people want from you or what. And like that question terrified me. I had no fucking idea. Mm. And so I think just getting back in touch with even, you know, simple things like what do you want to eat for dinner? You know, like Mm, even those types of things, not what does this person think or where, you know. So it's really been a process. And I think learning that has been important for me but also if there is a god i feel like well i don't they would know my heart and where and the journey and the things that yeah i've been through so it's you know i don't have a lot of fear or i i don't want to say fully but you know i'm i'm way more comfortable now than i than i've been in a long time so yeah that's good i know shit no i I feel that too with the uh with it not knowing what you want because i think that's something that elijah and i have probably both experienced in the church being like people pleasers and having to be like what people want us to be um man i'm sorry just tell me what you want me to say yeah (laughs) no for real i've struggled so much with that i've been trying recently like you said like uh my my partner michaela has been amazing trying to help me with it and she's like She'll ask me questions now and she'll be like, no, don't tell me what you think that I want to hear. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to eat? <laughs> right. And that's, which I, I'll eat anything. So I really don't care usually, but like, I've been trying to, to make a decision and be like, okay, you know what? I want pasta tonight. That's what I want. <laughs> and, uh, that's even, that's been hard for me. And yeah, I'm sure it's been even more, you know, difficult for you too. in in a lot of ways, um, I was going to say, I forgot, but one of the things that I was kind of off that too is, you know, I, I work a lot, travel a lot for what mm-hmm. I do. And our, our team, like there's now seven of us, at, um, wow. our, uh, team and we're, our, we're a pretty tight knit group of people. And I think because of some of the projects and things we've worked on, we all know a lot about each other. Cause we've talked a lot about, you know, asking a lot of deep questions and as we're working on some of these projects and, I think it's kind of been, it's been interesting how even as a team of people who like we are coworkers, but we're also creative collaborators and we're also all these things and kind of how Mm. even I think our team has kind of individually and collectively grown has been really cool. But yeah, that's so good. I love what you were saying too earlier, just like throw it way back to what you were saying about like your found family and your, your chosen family. And um, yeah, there's a way I mean, what you were describing when you were calling your friends and stuff and the friends who, you know, kind of gave up everything to help you out is what's sad is that's what the church says that they want to be. It's it's their lip service that they say that they are going to be that they make those promises. But then I'm not going to say all, but a lot of times if you do call them up like you did, their answer will be like, oh, yeah, I'm praying for you. And it'll be these responses that sound good still don't but really aren't mean anything <laughs> yeah yeah they're not doing anything they're very very empty they're not coming to you physically putting an arm around you and helping you out in your in your time of trouble yeah absolutely and i think one of my closest friends now is someone that i've known since you know middle school high school 
Um, and, you know, I think having someone who also, you know, he's also gay and has been on a lot of those journeys. And even like my friend in Seattle, I was mentioning is another example of someone who, when we met on like, we met on a Facebook group for gay Christians hmm. and at the time they were going to, uh, a Bible college and, you know, we're starting to become disillusioned and mm. it, it's been interesting even having that, those types of friends you grow together with on things and, you know, really can understand each other and understand, you know, your backgrounds. So, I mean, Taylor grew sure. up, you know, two miles down the street from me and oh, we, really? we lived out in the country. So that was like basically your next door neighbor. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, growing up at the same church and, you know, mm. youth group and all those things, like we had, so many touch points and it was funny because we had been friends for a while before realizing that we were both gay and you know it's funny how you still kind of find each other so yeah yeah it's amazing the ways you can find each other and even just the the deep bonding you can have from having those same experiences like, like elijah and i've talked a lot about like the friends that we've made over the past year so many of them are from our church and from our youth group and they've all kind of you know, we've all ended up in different places, I guess, spiritually and, and in, in that regard. But we have this like deep connection that still seems a little weird to people because we like are so close. Like we'll just be like hugging all over each other. We'll be like telling each other our deepest secrets like the minute after reconnecting with them because there's something just really deep that bonds us I about this. I swear we're closer now because of oh, it. Oh, totally. Like after having to put away the bullshit that came before of like, you know, feigning holiness or whatever. Now it's like, hey, Collier, this happened and like, he just accepts me, you know, for the mess that I, mess that it is or not. I don't have to condemn matter. you anymore. No, exactly. <laughs> and and we're also both seeing therapy. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that helps too, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Hate the sin, love the sinner, all that oh, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so give us, uh, uh, give me the rehearse spiel about the, the movie now. Yeah. Like so, we, so we you, want you, you to plug it. <laughs> you had said that, so you, you were creating a five minute PSA and then that expanded into something a lot bigger. So, yeah. So it's something I've been working on for four years and it's kind of funny because it's something that we were kind of working on in the background for a long time. And it obviously it has gotten some publicity at different points, but it's finally done and will be coming out um, uh, soon. Um, and yeah, so it, it is a project on conversion therapy. Um, the film is titled Conversion actually. Uh, and it was funny because I met, I mentioned meeting Dustin, uh, Dusty on who was on Drag Race, who had a big impact on me. Met them through a strange set of circumstances didn't know that they were actually originally from Louisville um, and which is also kind of crazy and had gone through conversion therapy in the Louisville area as well uh, through a very different oh, set of wow. circumstances than I had been through uh, actually in Southern Indiana in their case, but uh, still in this area. And I was like, well, I'm doing this PSA. Can you sit down and talk to me? And so interviewed them and they had just come off doing a big press tour with Drag Race where they were getting asked in almost every interview about their experience with conversion therapy because it was kind of one of the big points of their story arc on the show. 
And obviously in a reality TV show, like they're going to talk about it for three minutes as opposed to, you know, really digging in. And so we had like this hour plus conversation talking about it. And so I had a conversation with them and it was really just a conversation where we were able to talk without having to explain terms or really do a lot of the legwork that you're used to having to do in interviews. And they had just mentioned how more vulnerable and things that they had talked about that they hadn't really discussed before in interviews. And I was kind of struck by that because I was like, you know, you've been interviewed for all these major publications from all these big reporters, but just having a conversation with another survivor. And there have been other documentaries that have come out about conversion therapy. Some very recently, there was one on Netflix, uh, pray away that came out and that one was mm-hmm. interesting where a lot of people are like, Oh, well, I guess your documentary isn't needed anymore. We watched it and we were like, no, ours is very needed because mm. they interviewed. And I think, I think all filmmakers and their voices are different, but, and I don't think that pray away is a bad film, but I do think that they gave the mic to some of the wrong people yeah. because the people that were talking in that film were the people who were the conversion therapists. These are the people who were at the, at the, leading the conventions that I was being brought to people whose books I read people who perpetuated the wrong. And now they're saying like, yeah, we knew it was bullshit and we're sorry. And it felt much more like an apology tour. Whereas Mm -hmm. our film has been very clear about giving survivors the space to tell their story. And as a survivor myself coming from a very sympathetic place, and it's really been everyone from like Blake who wrote the music to Brad, who did the editing, I mean, Brad's a cis straight guy, but has, um, you know, a lot of LGBTQ friends and allies. And, you know, everyone on the film has had some sort of a connection to either direct or indirect connection to someone that's gone through conversion therapy. And so it's just come from a very careful place. And we made the film and the first four people to watch the film were the four other survivors that were in the film Mm. because it was really important to me and to our team that they felt like they had control over their story and that we weren't hijacking their story. Yeah. And so it was important that they, that they do that. And so there were so many things about it. I mean, I could talk about it for a while, but um, COVID happened in the middle of us filming. So we'd done all these interviews and we were going to go back and Mm -hmm. shoot all this B roll and we weren't able to do that anymore. And so it ended up, I guess I should state it and growing from a five minute PSA to a full feature length film um, that'll be coming out. And so we had all these amazing interviews. I went, we went and met, um, interviewed Dusty and then Elena Joy Thurston is a Mormon mom who went through conversion therapy in her mid thirties, um, came out, um, just four or five years ago. It's crazy to me. She's come out so recently and like, she's given ted talks she's like been i mean just all, she's done everything and she's five years ago like from today or from, from like, today yeah wow yeah because um, you started working she this came four out years ago. she came out when the brett kavanaugh hearings happened so okay, like 2018 okay. maybe i don't know but yeah so um yeah and then matt ashcroft is a survivor from canada um who went through conversion therapy here in the u.s actually but came here and and then Dusty, and then Sam Brenton, who has been in the news a lot lately for 
working for the Biden administration in nuclear waste energy. Um, and they are mm-hmm. a trans uh, non-binary person who the Trump administration likes to pick on a lot. So uh, <laughs> even, imagine that. Even, yeah, so even, even, that. even though Sam uh, was an informal advisor to the Trump White House <laughs> because Sam was the top of their field. But, wow. Yeah, so if you've heard about the trans person that the Trump people in the MAGAverse are like attacking that Sam who's in this film yeah. and has their own incredible It's really story. weird when it's like someone that you know and someone that you care about is being attacked and like, you know, There's conservative can, hosts are like yeah. leaking their phone number and people are, you know, showing up at their house. I mean, it's insane. No. So um, Sam is um, a badass and I I don't know how they still continue to thrive in a pair of heels on in Washington DC doing their thing. So we saw their Instagram and I'm like, Oh my God, they're killing the game right now. <laughs> yeah. No, Sam's amazing. And so um, all the, all the survivors that are in the film have their own unique perspective and their own platform that they've used to try to end conversion therapy. And, but also everyone's very different. And so, you know, we had filmed all these interviews, but we had no B roll, anything to show to fill the documentary. And so, you know, I want to say it was planned, but we ended up coming with this idea of creating miniatures that represented each person's story. I loved that. I, I loved that that theme. That was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And it was something that, you know, again, I wish we could say we planned from the beginning, but <laughs> I think even the themes that we're talking about in the podcast are visually represented in that because one of the things we were trying to show visually is that when you look at something through a very specific lens from a very specific point of view, it can look and feel real and it can Mm. look like it's your whole world. And in the beginning of the film, you're seeing those miniatures get set up. So you're seeing hands come in and manipulating things, setting the stage. Yeah. And then when you're in those experiences, it feels real and it feels right. And then towards the end of the film as people start to see the cracks, you start to see the edges or like a light Mm. or things that are, you know, making, manipulating the scene until the very end when you're seeing people stand over the miniature and like take control of it again and how like they're like reowning their story. And so it was something that was very, one of the days, because COVID end, like we, the Canadian border opened, we could like bring Matt to the U S for the first time and (laughs) all these things. Uh And it was something that was very unexpected of bringing these people in because we asked them to describe like some of the rooms that their stories took place in and then use that to build these miniature sets. And I was not prepared because sometimes you're very much in like the filmmaking mode of it all. Yeah. And I really had to separate myself at times doing these, you know, interviews. Like, am I someone telling my story now as someone who also is sharing my story and being in front of the camera? to like being in director mode and just the wave of emotion that came over people when they like saw their miniature because, and one of the things I was not like Elena and Matt and other people have talked about was just like Elena said something to the effect of like, I just felt so seen because someone like heard my story and like represented it in a way that was like in some ways very bizarre, but in other ways felt, like even the attention to detail felt very like caring and loving. Cause like JP who created all these miniatures, like literally built each piece by hand, you know? And wow. you know, so it, it's, it's been a pretty crazy and a pretty incredible journey. And even now, like we're, 
it's been so insane the effect that even just making the film has had so you know whether the thing for me as making it it's been important that it's approachable for different people like so we've tried really hard to make it not confrontational so that if someone is it's just people telling their story in a way that's not totally dissimilar to someone giving their testimony. It's a format that a lot of Christians are used to hearing. Totally. Um, and making it approachable to where, you know, a conservative mom in the South or the Midwest can still hear it or, you know, the aunt and uncle and like just understand that this is still happening, but also that, because um, a lot of people don't think it's still happening, but it's just they change their forms, they're rebranding. A lot of people... I, I talked earlier about my work in the legislature. One of the things that's really important, I think the legislation is super important, but mm-hmm. the legislation only goes so far. It's only protecting minors from licensed practitioners. So it is not stopping pastors or people who aren't charging money for it from still doing it. So a lot of people think like, oh, we passed a law, which in Kentucky we haven't. But there still is so much work to be done even in the states that there have been laws that are passed. So I think all of that is just really important to, for people to understand. And then the thing that has I've always come back to is what would I have needed to see at 14 that would have helped me see the cracks sooner. And so that's one of the things that has always been the very narrow target audience. And as we're releasing the film, that's one of the things we've been having even like potential distributors is like, how do we get this into the hands of like closeted 14 year olds to where they can see this film. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's been a pretty incredible journey. We're excited to soon people to be able to see it, but conversionmovie.com is where you can kind of keep up and we're at conversion movie on Instagram and all the social media channels. So. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Anyone listening, follow. Yeah. Can conversion movie on Instagram, conversionmovie.com. Yeah, no, it was that. What you said about the miniatures is so cool. Just just from the film aspect, the uh, I think it was during Matt's story. Yeah, like I mean, I was crying during it, just watching it a few uh, a few hours ago, and the way that the miniatures became, it took me like a, a minute to realize that they were even miniature at that point. You know, like I, I was watching the story and I was like, oh, these are life size couches, life size windows, and I was like, oh no, it's it's miniatures that they made. And that, that's so beautiful the way that, yeah, like the, and then the survivors can take ownership of it, can like put themselves at the, as the ones who are creating, manipulating and like, and taking back their story. That's so good. Yeah. It's, it's been a pretty incredible journey. And just even, it's funny, even the same way where you said like me seeing Dustin's story, we've been, we've had a, a lot of private screenings of the film to different audiences and in the beginning, we were trying to make sure, like, does it make sense? Is the history work? You know, like, what questions do you have mm-hmm. when you're done watching it? To get to the final version we have today, it was a very tedious process. We had, like, hundreds of hours of stuff. We digitized a bunch of things from the Smithsonian that they sent us. <laughs> and some of it was, like, stuff that had never been seen before. Some was, like, really horrifying shit. And, wow. you know, it was just going through all this footage and figuring out what to include, what not to include, how to tell the story effectively in a way and, you know, an hour and 40 minutes that works and has an arc and all those things is really hard. And I big kudos to our producing team, like Leilani and Taylor and Mark and, and Brad, who tediously went through all this footage and worked on it for basically full time for two years. Um, that's been his job and um has gone through a lot of different iterations but it's been interesting seeing people's respond to it going like oh i went to therapy sessions with a pastor and 
you know, I did go to this weird prayer night where they were praying demons out of me. And I did, you know, like things that people, even in their, you know, 50s, 60s or old, you know, they're having these like epiphanies of like things that they've deeply repressed. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited, but also scared as hell for the movie to come out. <laughs> sure. No, I'm anxious too for it to come out. Yeah. I can't wait till it's, uh, until it's everywhere and available for everyone to see. Yeah. Um, what what are some of the biggest goals, I guess, and uh, expectations or desires you have for the impact of the movie? I mean, like I was saying, I, I, I think the challenges, especially in today's political climate, uh, to banning it are going to be difficult, especially when people are coming after trans people and people of color and all these other issues that we're fighting against. I think it's going to be hard to pass legislation that actually bans this practice. Um, Canada just did it. Um, some other countries are starting to do it as well. Mm, yeah. Um, that are much go much further than our laws here in the well, U.S. But I think my my partner posted something about when Canada did it, and she yeah. got a lot of pushback actually. And people were like, "Oh, this is going to not allow pastors to counsel people." And people say that all the time, but literally the American versions of those laws are worded so carefully to where it is not going against any of those things. Oh, I'm sure. So, yeah. you know, um, and yeah, so it's, it's been, but I think my goal is really to hopefully affect people by telling the story as a filmmaker. That's really all I know how to do. And hopefully my goal really is that we only have five stories. We have met so many incredible survivors over the years and we picked these, four or five people, but there's so many other people who have incredible stories to share. And so I hope that the film gives people the courage to be able to share their own stories. And mm. I think that's really how we're going to change hearts and minds. So that's incredible. Yeah. If, if you've been affected and you want to share your story on the hopefully wandering podcast, <laughs> you can definitely share your story here. We love sharing stories. Um, Absolutely. no, I think that's incredible too. Like that, that, that is such a good catalyst for cultural change. I think is stories because as much as some people might want to repress it, I think almost every human has a big capacity and a big potential for empathy. And hearing someone's true story, the way it happened in reality to them is really hard to argue against. I mean, like the, like the church used to say when talking about your testimony, people can't argue with your story. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I mean, that, that's that's kind of true. Like you have to listen to someone's story. You have to see the reality of what they went through and then reconcile how you're going to view that going forward. Yeah. So absolutely. I love that you're getting those stories out. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, as maybe we come to a close, uh, I know we do have some queer or trans people who listen to this podcast and as well as like Collier and I have interacted with uh, some LGBT people uh, like when we were working with youth groups and whatnot. And uh, if you go back and listen to some of our older episodes, we've, we've, we've expressed that we regret that we felt like we had to respond in like a particular way in those moments. And, you know, we've sought forgiveness and, you know, uh, I've had to process those instances in our own ways because, you know, like we feel like, whether intentionally or accidentally we were proponents of like some of this abuse um, because that's all we knew. 
Um, and so I was hoping that you could speak to two specific groups. Um, one, like, say that, you know, this may be a little uh, idealistic of me, but like, say we have like a 16-year-old who are struggling with some of the same things that you struggle with, uh, uh, who's listening to this today, what might you have to say to them? I mean, I think as someone that's listening to it who, if you're gay or trans or wherever you fall in the diverse gender or sexuality spectrum. Not the norm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think you know who you are and you know that you're different. And I, it's really hard, I think, especially when you're hearing from a complete stranger that you're okay and you're valid and you're loved because you've been told if you're a part of this for so long by people who you love and trust that you aren't valid and that you are loved as long as you don't accept this part of yourself. So I feel like what I have to say matters less, but I absolutely, you do matter and you are loved and you are, you know, perfect the way you are. But I would be more encouraging to the people who are around those queer people because you have the ability to speak into your friends' lives or into your family members' lives a lot more strongly than I ever could. So, you know, I think loving those people and not outing them, but if they are, if they do come out to you or if they are, you know, just knowing that you are there for them is going to mean so much more than anything I could say. But, you know, as someone who was in that world for so long, like I thought I just have to keep it together till I can, <laughs> till I'm 80 or whenever I die, you know, like, yeah. Um, and letting go of that, there is so much more freedom and it's really difficult and not easy in any way, but it's absolutely one of the best things I ever did. And I have for all the talk of freedom and love, I'm way more loved, have so much more freedom and so much less anxiety now than I ever have. Uh, the other question I wanted to see is what would you say to maybe someone who's more hostile towards this conversation because the typical like evangelical that might listen to this. Yeah. Because yeah. we definitely have some of those people who listen to this. I don't know whether they're here is just like, man, I wonder what Collier and Elijah are up to. <laughs> they did this shit, <laughs> but that well, and to give them here. grace, a lot of them do want to be, loving people you know so well i think they would argue that they are because yeah. they're you're the, you know they would say i am loving you by hating this part of you because <laughs> sure, sure you know you know exactly who so, we're talking about <laughs> so so they see that what they're doing as the most loving thing you could mm -hmm. do so it's kind of hard to speak to that but you know all i can say is is that i spent 10 plus years praying, begging God to change me. I was within that system. I wholeheartedly believed that it tried everything. And, you know, it came to a point where I was just like, God, if this is something that you care about, like you're going to have to change me or I can't keep doing this. Like this isn't sustainable. And for me, it literally became a, a matter of life or death. Like I'm either going to be like, an out gay person or I'm going to be a dead gay person. Mm. And oh, I, you know, for me when it came that like, it is a matter of, of life and death in that way. So, um, yeah. 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 
No, I mean, and it is for a lot of people too. Um, and there's there's a scene in the film. I don't think it's one that, you, um, but there's a scene in the film where we just show a bunch of empty chairs, mm. and we start talking about you know all the people who have lost their lives, and you know one of my friends just a few months ago lost their life, took their own life because of dealing with some of these same things. Yeah, and I consider myself very lucky to be alive because there were just really a few small things that could have happened where I wouldn't be here today. And so, you know, if you think you are loving someone by, you know, loving the sinner, hating the sin, you know, that doesn't work. Mm. And, you know, this is, does have very serious implications. So yeah. And not to end it on a downer. Well, sure. I mean, regardless of the objective truth, you think, that you have, um, especially if you are a, just a conservative Christian or a typical evangelical, um, what matters is the impact to the person that you are trying to love. You know, and if the person you're trying to love receives that as hate and receives that as a reason to not go on anymore, then it's it's no longer love. No matter what you think the objective truth is, it cannot be love if it is harmful to somebody. Yeah. So reduce harm in any way you can, even if that means throwing your questions up to God and saying, I don't know. That's a perfectly valid thing for you to do, just to love somebody and to, to reduce harm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, Zach, we're really, really glad you're here. We're really glad that you uh, are here on this podcast and in this room right now. And let's uh, to end it on a different note, too, we are going to switch to uh, media recommendations. So... We like to end the podcast with um, either songs, artists, music that's been speaking to you lately, or kind of any media, you know, movies, books, uh, shows, TV shows, a, books. A video game. I don't know, like something <laughs> yeah. that you've been enjoying for a particular reason or as a resource for our listeners. Are we talking more like guilty pleasures? Are we talking like... Whatever you want. You know, you can can do both. If you want to do both, tell us some guilty pleasures. Tell us some uh, some good ones that are resources or are more educational or whatever. (laughs) Well, watch Conversion when it comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Uh, We will promote the hell out of that. So follow our Instagram page and we will be shouting it out all the time. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited for that to come out later this year. But I mean, I... To be honest, like during the pandemic and producing a very heavy piece like this, um, and I'm also we're also working on another project about um, a true crime documentary. So, like, wow. so it's it's just been a lot of heaviness. <laughs> so, heavy. I would say most of my nights are filled with like Bob's Burgers and Modern Family. Uh, <laughs> yes, so Bob's I, Burgers. So I don't know. I I Love just it. I think sometimes just just coming back and, and keeping it light is great. So, who's your favorite character <laughs> on Bob's Burgers out of the Belchers? <sighs> I would say probably Tina. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, People have described me as Gene. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see that so with well. Gene, actually. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah, mine's either Tina or Bob. I just love the, I love Bob's comments to everyone else, like the way he interacts with Linda, especially. <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Love some Bob's Burgers. Modern Family. Yeah, that's good too. Um, do you have one? Cause we we did we recorded an episode yesterday. I did. <laughs> We've been recording so much recently. Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm actually gonna speak up for Taylor. Okay. So Taylor was like, "Go listen to this album. It's the new Demi Lovato album called Holy Fuck. It's F V C K, but mm-hmm. it's basically like 
a rock album about her deconstruction to deconversion, and it is spicy. It is really spicy. Yeah, I've, so, I've heard like the single off of that. Um, what seventeen twenty nine, yeah. right? I've heard I don't that know one. if it's like a hundred percent like my personal thing, but it's very interesting to see like this sort of uh, movement becoming more like mainstream because oh, yeah. there for a few years we got like the justin bieber kanye west christian maverick well, City I mean, revival before yeah true but you know before that even there was like the jonas brothers they had their purity rings no! <laughs> um you got me in chains <laughs> so i've got uh so one of my friends actually shared with me um uh, after we reconnected again, after uh, all this kind of stuff with me happened, um, a playlist that she made called "Oh, You Got Religious Trauma." Um, oh no! <laughs> but there was one song I just heard the other day called uh, "Gay in the South." It's really good. It's a really good vibe. Uh, lyrics are really good too. It's just kind of, I mean, kind of like, well, about what it sounds like. It's uh, about you know, repression and then finding freedom, and it's a really good just musical song as well. Um, the only other thing I'll shout out to is that Michaela and I have been replaying Kingdom Hearts, so we've been doing that like nonstop the past week. She's like beat two games already the past two days. So, listen, that is one way to distract your partner is by sticking her in front of the PlayStation. <laughs> she loves her nostalgic games, definitely. So. Kyrie's inside me. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. It's been great being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, man. And for all you guys out there, keep wondering. Hey, see ya.